Wow. <laughs> We're going to go front row. I don't know. I was actually just going to make a joke that, like, my Lutheran education has prepared me to talk to people that aren't, like, that are way back there, um, since the majority is. So thank you for the solidarity here, or the intimidation. I'm not sure which one, <laughs> the heart behind which one it is. Uh, so great to be with you all this morning. Uh, one thing that I forgot to say when I was going to check in, uh, just do community time, is I'm sure it's probably too wet anyway, but they're outside tearing up a bunch of the, um, the barriers on the playground um, outside this morning to put new ones in. So after, uh, after class, I mean, after this is done and you get your kids from class, if you have kids, I would just make sure that the forklift and all those other things aren't out there if kids are going to go run um, out there afterwards. So just a PSA on that. Uh, so great to be with you all this morning. Um, as I said, in community time, uh, my name's Robert. If this is one of your first or more recent times here, uh, Kevin, who is our lead pastor, is on vacation right now. So they get back today. And so it's just been a great gift for y'all as a community. And I'm just I'm happy to be able to step in and provide them an opportunity to be on vacation. Uh, vacation and pastoral ministry is an amazing opportunity to be away. Vacation and church planting is an amazing opportunity uh, to, uh, to be able to just uh, be present uh, with family. Uh, they each, regardless of what role your pastoral ministry takes, it has its own um, burdens and opportunities, etc. But there's something uh, unique about church planting and the always never really knowing what is happening on a specific morning at times. So it's a unique world. And so just to encourage you all as they get home today, just to continue to keep them in your prayers. Um, that this has just been a sweet time away. I've been very thrilled to not get any emails or text messages <laughs> or anything. And so, um, and regardless of what Kevin Martin tells you, he was going to try to start a, here's all the things that went wrong that, that Robert messed up. And so please don't join him on this. <laughs> no, kidding. So um, what we're doing right now is we're in the middle of a summer sermon series uh, where y'all have submitted questions. Uh, so end of, uh, uh, end of last year, our end of last winter, uh, I nor most of my work is done on an academic calendar, and when so I say beginning of the year and end of year, it's rarely a calendar year, so I apologize um, for, for that. Y'all submitted questions that we've been pressing through. Um, we're going to do that till the close of August and then get into our next series. And so today our question uh, focuses on uh, prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and what can we learn about them. And so we're going to be diving into that. I'm doing a survey exploration of some key things that we can, can learn from that idea um, throughout, this throughout this morning. And so when it comes to the notion of prophecy, uh, even saying that where you're going to get a lot of different reactions, right? Uh, depending what your formation was, what your awareness is to the language, what's its cultural place, uh, you're going to not really 100% know where someone, someone is coming from with that notion. Uh, so we have multiple ends of the spectrum where we can say prophecy really has no place um, in daily life. Prophecy, yeah, it kind of did some stuff in the Bible, but that's a little weird. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have where we kind of turn the Bible into a Christian version of a Ouija board where we're looking for every right letter, every right phrase to try to unlock some massive equation um, about something. And so uh, depending when you grew up, I grew up standing in the grocery line, um, waiting for the checkout, looking at the cover of the National Enquirer. And so you have those areas of prophecy, and then you have other areas of prophecy about how we embrace that. And so it can kind of be uh, uh, an interesting dynamic to step into what we talk about. So for our purposes this morning, what we're going to be talking about, the base meaning that we're going to be looking at, is thinking of prophecy as inspired declaration of divine will and purpose, 
are and pointing towards something to come. And then in our case, prophecy about and fulfilled by Jesus. And so that's where we're specifically going to be looking, which even then can take us multiple places. But where I want us to center that is that um, not only recognizing that prophecy can take you a million different places of what's going on, but prophecy then when you add Jesus to it can take you a lot of different places, places as well. And so several weeks ago, Pastor Kevin spoke about the how and why of reading the Bible. One of the questions that came up uh, during our summer series is how do we read the Bible? Why should we read the Bible? And there was two aspects that he spoke on that I want to help set as a foundation for our conversation about it as we look at the things that Jesus fulfilled and what he pressed into. And those two things are um, his, his, uh, his word about that when we, we read the Bible correctly, when Jesus is the central figure of it, and then his utilization of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why um, it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So if you've been around here for a while, and even if you've been around here only for a few weeks, you'll consistently find that what we seek to do when we gather together at Center Church is to get us to Jesus. Um, the topic, the scripture, whatever we're looking at, we're looking to get us to Jesus, because um, seeking to be people of the gospel, that is what we're seeking to do. And so this morning, uh, we aren't going to answer every question, make every point, or solve every problem when it comes to the larger conversation of prophecy. I would have some amazing book deals if I could do that. Um, it would be fantastic. Um, actually, it won't be, <laughs> um, but we're not going to do that. What we want to do this morning, well, at least what we're going to at least survey to do, is how the role of prophecy in Scripture reveals to us who Jesus is and what we can learn from these declarations as we seek to be people of the gospel. So throughout the times of the gospel, throughout um, other books of the New Testament, there's a lot of times that's referenced that Jesus fulfilled this or Jesus himself declares that in this I have fulfilled this. And so we just want to look at a little bit, um, a couple of examples of those instances and think about how prophecy is utilized and then sit with a specific story and especially look at that second part is what can we learn from the fact that Jesus sought out to fulfill what was declared about him. And so the utilization of prophecy within scripture uh, to real reveal Jesus can be seen in a variety of ways. It can be seen as direct proclamation of what to expect of Jesus. That is, these things are saying that this person who is to come, these are things that will happen for him. Um, we could go into a lot of examples about this, but just a few to just do a brief survey, is um, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Uh, and the prophet Micah, he speaks to, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, and in the Gospel of Matthew, when the wise men are speaking about this person that they want to go see, this child that they want to go see, they utilize Micah, and they said, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So speaking of the birth of Jesus and what's to come and what to expect of that. Another area that um, is spoken about in what to expect of Jesus the Messiah, what to expect of this faith, what to expect of the people, is the notion of rejection. And Psalm 118 um, is, a, is a, a ver two verses, 22 and 23, that are utilized by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew when it comes to rejection. And it says uh, in Psalms 118, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And when Jesus is speaking in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 21, he says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And I love, and this will be a continuous theme as we continue on and speak about that. I love that Jesus um, starts this teaching out, this conversation out with, have you never read the scriptures? And oftentimes I think that's how we embrace prophecy or we embrace things to expect. We are kind of dumbfounded by it or we are not, we're trying to add it up and it just doesn't make sense to us. And in this case, Jesus is like, hey, these scriptures that you've studied, hey, these teachings that you've heard, were you really listening? Were you really reading? Were you really embracing the teaching? Because it seems pretty clear here in this. And so there's this even recognition from Jesus, like these things have been spoken about, and therefore it is important for us to be paying attention to them as we come to embrace Jesus. Another popular one that's routinely, um, routinely pointed to, um, especially in Christian circles, that goes back to the apostolic fathers, is from the prophet Isaiah, um, and a lot of scholars will sometimes refer to Isaiah as the fifth gospel, speaking to a revelation of Jesus, speaking to revelation of the Messiah, of what's to come. And so Isaiah 53 is a larger chunk of scripture. But just to give you an example, as you can see um, the possibilities of it speaking to Jesus, starting with verse 4, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah proclaimed, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, um, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And gives you a picture of the suffering servant mindset of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. The same Isaiah 53, not these specific verses, but verses that make up the larger Isaiah 53, are utilized in a story that's found in the book of Acts when Philip approaches the Ethiopian eunuch who is reading um, from Isaiah and reading from this passage. And so uh, the eunuch is reading from Isaiah, from the scroll of Isaiah, uh, and he asks Philip um, what it means. And Philip uses this opportunity, this what's been revealed about who Jesus is to proclaim Jesus. And so in Acts 8, starting with verse 29, uh, the text reads, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And as humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch sa said to Philip, And whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And so in this reading of scripture in Isaiah, Philip is using this as a jumping off point to say, hey, do you see these words? Do you see who he's talking about? To proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so even going back to Kevin's uh, message several weeks ago, scripture is continuously needing to be paid attention to as one larger story um, that is building off one another and speaking to one another 
that is seeking to get us to the central figure of Jesus Christ. And so there's opportunities like this, that there's direct connection to that, and then there's also prophecy in the sense of foreshadowing or pointing of what's to come. That is, as Jesus said in his teaching of Matthew, utilizing the Psalms, when he says, have you not read the scripture? How are we, as those who are people of Jesus, thinking about the stories that we've read, the things that we've heard, and how are they eventually getting us to Jesus? Or how should we embrace, how should we understand, how should we see Jesus is through the stories of scripture? And so prophecy within scripture, um, as it speaks to Jesus, can also be foreshadowing, a pointing towards something to come or something more complete than what is. And there's plenty of examples that we could go through this, but two, especially since we've spent some time with them recently in sermon series or in books of the Bible, are Jonah and King David. Uh, before this series, um, we did a larger walk through the book of Jonah um, from beginning to end. And in Matthew 12, 41b, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is banking on their understanding and, and explaining this story that they know, that they're aware of, that's been taught, that has been embraced to say, hey, don't you see what's happening here? Do you see how this is a greater version of that? There's this insistence, there's this necessity for us to understand the scripture that has been, the scripture that is, and how does it reveal who Jesus is? And so Jesus is continuously pointing us back to these stories, to this expectation, to this, hey, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you see how this is about me? Or don't you see how what I'm doing builds off of this? Another example of this would be the person of King David. Again, uh, in the prophet Isaiah, references that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, leading towards the lineage of Jesus. And as I said earlier in this, you can always sometimes get too far in, like, hey, let's look at every little word or verse. But one of the fascinating thing um, to do within the Bible is to look at the genealogy of Jesus, especially as you read the Hebrew scriptures and look through those stories and say, hey, this is how this is playing into this. This is how this is speaking to this. Oftentimes, if you're anything like me, the genealogy of Jesus was the first thing you skipped when you started the gospel. As you're like, oh, it's a lot of names that I can't pronounce. Um, but they speak great depth and wisdom to the Hebrew scriptures. They speak depth and wisdom to the lineage of Jesus to have an understanding and an anticipation of this, which is even why that notion of there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit plays such prominence in some of the great Advent hymns of the church's history. Because it speaks to this, like, look at what we are to expect. No matter how many times the scripture, no matter how many times we might believe that this just came out of nowhere, there's so much within scripture that says this just didn't come out of nowhere. Have you been reading? Have you been listening? Look at what I've been preparing. Look at what I've been bringing us to. And so to be able to engage us, to be able to look at the things that have spoken to and about Jesus is an opportunity to do that. Um, in the faith life of our community, in the faith life of our family, in the faith life of ourselves, to recognize that this just isn't some crazy out of the blue thing. This is something that God has been preparing, that God has been making known, that God's revealed and a, a press for us to press into the scriptures to be able to look that out and see that. And so these events and people throughout scripture, whether they're direct, like the birth, the rejection, the suffering, or whether they're illusion, like illusions with David, Jonah, pointing to, speaking to, should give us pause and wonder towards the person of Jesus Christ. You know, we talked uh, a handful of weeks ago when I, when I spoke on the, de uh, the disciples 
about, again, this recognition of, like, have you been paying attention? Who do you say that I am? And that question of who do you say that I am isn't just out of thin air. It's you've been walking with me. You've been hearing about me. You've been going and worshiping me. What is it about this that says, allows you to be able to answer the question of who do you say that I am? And so these stories and experiences are to help us be prepared to recognize and receive Jesus. So recognize and receive Jesus as the Messiah and recognize and receive what that recognition calls us into. Because it does call us into a life in following Christ. And so these stories, these experiences propel us into that. Which brings us to the text that I want to sit with the remainder of our time. And actually, I don't, there's a, there's a larger sermon planning series where the call to worships that we do um, are building off one another and they're interplaying with one another, but they're not always necessarily connected um, to, to the sermon itself. And so when I was plugging in the things to the system last night, I was fascinated to find out the scripture that we read this morning is a scripture that I want us to sit with the rest of the time. Um, so it's a very helpful uh, book in uh, to this conversation. And so in Luke 4, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, uh, Jesus has come home um, and, as is custom, is going to synagogue and is going to um, read from the scroll, um, which Emily read uh, early this morning. And just after this is actually where we had left Jesus uh, last week when we were talking about the character of Jesus, that he'd been tempted into wilderness and then he'd been um, sent back out uh, through the power of the Spirit. And so Luke 4, 16 through 21, just to, to reread this. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The scroll that he reads from is from Isaiah. Verses 18 and 19 can be found in Isaiah 58, 6 and Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 to come to this larger thread. It's worth noting that after he reads this text and after he sets the scroll down, after he makes comments on it, he continues to teach, he continues to speak, and this teaching and this speaking of Jesus and the declaration of today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing concludes with his hometown seeking to throw him off the cliff and their community. And so they chase him out of town. He walks through, continues on his ministry. The continued of the, where this comes from in the Gospel of Luke, is him going from town to town and doing exactly what he says he's doing here, to proclaim that. And so as we think about what we can learn from Jesus' prophecies that he fulfilled and what is it that they speak to us besides a revelation of who Jesus is, but also then what can we learn from that, that Jesus, yes, is the Messiah. Scripture is continuously pointing to Jesus. But then how do we, what do we do and how do we respond to that? And I think this text, though it's one of many that speak to things that Jesus fulfilled, is key to that. There's a handful of things that Jesus does in this scripture. 
He says that, hey, proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what's key here, and what's key in this text, I think what's key for us in our understanding of what Jesus is seeking to do, what is being revealed about Jesus continuously, is he says that today, today upon your hearing, this is fulfilled. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke, Luke loves the words today. He loves speaking to today. He loves speaking to now. He loves speaking to this recognition of an in-breaking now. That Jesus is saying, in here, in me, right now, is the location that this is fulfilled. And he goes and he continues to do that. And so today, a present in-breaking of salvation in the here and now, Jesus is the location that this prophecy is being fulfilled. And I just really want us to sit with that because when we think about prophecy, when we think about Jesus, when we think about what he calls us into, oftentimes it's a very future reality. It's oftentimes, okay, we're going to come, we're going to come hear about this, we're going to keep making our way towards Christ-likeness, but in reality, this comes into fruition later. And there's a lot of truth to that. We see through uh, glass dimly. We are broken people. We struggle. We fail. We're seeking to do this through the power of Jesus, right? But Jesus says, today, these things are fulfilled. There is this invitation of this inbreaking that through him, through the location, not through the power of the people that, that are listening to him, not through the power of the people that is, but through him, this is fulfilled today. There is a real, live inbreaking of the gospel that is happening. This isn't just something that we pay attention to when we fly away by and by. This is something that we pay attention to in the here and now. And I think the reaction that Jesus gets from the people when he's done preaching speaks to that clearly. Because if it is just a future reality, if it is just a then, if it is just a this it doesn't cost you or call you into anything, then why is everyone so wanting and desiring to just go throw them off a cliff? If it is, I ah, just get comfortable, just come and consume, just do, you know, whatever you want to do, just do this, then everyone would probably be like, nah, cool. All right, well, we see you when that inbreaking comes in later. Have fun declaring all these things. But Jesus says today, in today, in me, in this person, this is fulfilled. And he continues to go out to do it. This is at the beginning of his ministry, out of coming out of the desert. He comes. This is one of his first acts in his hometown. It's chapter 4 of Luke. Luke continues on with him doing this. If it was all over and done with, that would be a pretty short gospel, right? It just said, all right, that's done. Okay, fulfilled. Peace. But continuously, Jesus is inviting his disciples in. Continuously, Jesus is teaching. Continuously, Jesus is forgiving. Continuously, Jesus is healing. Continuously, Jesus is equipping and commissioning other people to do the same thing, not through their own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, right? And so there's a sense here that when we think about prophecy, when we think about what we can learn from Jesus, that there has to be this focus on today. There has to be this focus on the here and now. There has to be the focus on this fact that Jesus has provided this gift for us, Jesus has provided this freedom for us, but yet it still also costs us something. Not costs us something in the sense of what we can we do to earn this, not costs us something in the sense of what can we do to deserve this, but it costs us a sense that following Jesus of Nazareth is going to change your life. It is going to transform your life. It is going to not just transform your life in the fact that, oh, I don't have to be scared of hell anymore. It's going to transform your life that here today, there is this recognition, there's this lens that is able to be put on that says the world is not as it should be. 
And Jesus has the power to speak into that today with an inbreaking of salvation and say, what I'm here to do, what has been fulfilled, what has been spoken about, what has been prepared is to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, setting liberty to those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, today to do that, to be able to walk towards that, for us to be able to put our trust and hope in Jesus, that he's going to continue that work in us. Now, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that all of us get to go out here and fix every single problem in the world. <laughs> um, because honestly, if you're me, there's probably some selfish agenda that would actually skew what I'm able to do there, right? Like, oh, this is how I want it, therefore I'm going to say that's how God wants it, and I'm just going to go ahead and march through that. What I am saying is I think these continued recognition of Jesus fulfilling what has been spoken and our expectation should form and shape us. This has been what's said is what's to come, and do we see it coming? Do we see it becoming? Do we see this being created into existence? Or do we see ourselves not proclaiming good news to the poor, that we're actually captivating people instead of liberating them? Are we blinding people instead of setting them free? And I think that's a real question that we need to ask. And I think that's a real challenge for us here because if we are to be expecting to this, are we supposed to live out of this actual anticipation of expectation of what Jesus has declared, what Jesus has proclaimed, what scriptures has been spoken to us to expect of Jesus? Then that's huge. That's transformative that's life-changing. And at least I'm going to ask myself this question, not to throw all of y'all under the bus, because it would just be me, right, as I do often here, is I have to ask myself, am I actually expecting this? Do I live in that expectation? Because to explore the prophecies about Jesus, to see how Jesus fulfilled, begs that question, have you even been reading and listening to the scriptures? It's there. It's spoken. That doesn't mean there isn't mystery. That doesn't mean there's lack of understanding. If anything, the more that I embrace the ministry of Jesus, the more that I recognize the things that I have no clue about. And the things that were super easy to be self-righteous about as a seminary student are things that were e super easy to be self-righteous when I felt like I had all the answers. Except again, the more I feel like you dive into this, the more that you understand Paul's proclamation of I have nothing but Christ crucified. So here, let's embrace it. Let's let it transform us. And I think we really need to embrace that. I think we really need to be able to have a revisioning of what does that mean for us to recognize that are we expecting this? So one of the main things that we can learn from Jesus' prophecy is are we expecting this? Does it surprise us? And just like we were with the disciples and just like we were with the other people, I think sometimes we are so harsh on the people of Scripture because they're like, ah, oh, they didn't get it. Ah, look at those idiots. Or, what do you mean they're questioning this? They are face-to-face -face with the Messiah. And yet here we are with the whole story, and we're still kind of like, yeah, are you sure, though? Are you sure that's what Jesus is really calling us into? Are you that? And they, they, they recognize they have Jesus stripped for them. He is crucified, and he comes back, and they have to go through all of that, and we know the end of the story, right? We know the end of the story, and yet we still wonder, like, yeah, but is that really what Jesus is calling us to? to deliver good news to the poor, to proclaim the liberty of the captives, recovering the sight of the bland, blind, setting liberty of those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor today, in this moment. 
Because that can't help but change us. I can't help but think about how we look at ourselves. I can't help but let us think about how we look at our communities. I can't help but let us think about how we look at the systems and structures in which we live around. I can't look at the ways that how do we actually profit and how do we actually move along by doing the very things that Jesus is here to subvert doing. And there's a tension there because it's challenging and it's hard and it disrupts us. And the easy answer is, well, that's just for then. That's just for then. That's the easy answer. The hard answer is saying, hey, Jesus, I see through a light dimly. I know that, but please help me. Let's dive into the scriptures. Let's pray together. Let's be able to trust in the empowering of the Holy Spirit in which he equips us with to send us out and recognize that we're going to do this imperfectly, but we're going to seek to try to do it, and we're going to hold each other accountable with it, and we're going to trust that Jesus has already done it. That there is freedom in that, that there's opportunity to say, hey, where's this happening in our world? Where's this happening in our life? Where's this happening in our church? Where's this happening in all the different dynamics and what we do, and what does Jesus speak into that? Let's see how Jesus spoke to his disciples. Let's see how Jesus spoke to people, and where are the things that we say, no, that's later. Jesus will fix that later, and yes, he will, but if we're continuously called to be able to grow and develop in our Christ-likeness, through the power of Jesus, not through our own power, please don't hear me say that, like, please hear me say that, but please don't hear me say through our own power and our all strength. Through, I'm just, because oftentimes we are a people who are called to action. We are a people that called that through the power of Jesus to proclaim everything that he is proclaiming in this Luke 4 text, to depend on Jesus. And we say, oh, that's just too much of a risk of doing it on our own power. Then don't do it on your own power. Do it through the power of Jesus. Be able to bring people in your life that say, hey, are you promoting your own agenda? Are you really promoting an agenda of the gospel? Have people who can call you out on that. Regularly, that's an okay thing to do. But what's not okay is just to say, ah, all right, it's a life of apathy. It's a life of comfort. Because it's the freest gift you will ever get, but it will cost you everything. Amen. One of the things that we do um, take time to do every week is have an opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, we center it once a month, but it's always available in the back. And as we think about this, as we think about what to expect of Jesus, as we think about who we are and whose we are, I just would really encourage you that if you do partake in it today as a follower of Christ, if you have made that commitment, that you recognize, just like I did last week when we centered it up front here, that we would reflect on the fact that this is something that is done for you, but this is also something that's done for us as a whole. And so in this sense of, in this proclamation, in which what Jesus calls us to, there is a bond that gets created there for those who have committed to following Jesus in a sense that we are for, with, for and with one another. And so when we go and we take that cup and we take that bread, we are proclaiming the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to hear that whole thing, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because, uh, like a former professor used to say, quoting someone else, that sometimes as Christians, we become very, like, vampire Christians. Like, we really want the blood, but we don't want the rest. And so when we do that, we're proclaiming the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we're letting that impact us. We're not only recognizing that that is here for us, but we're recognizing that that is here for each and every one of you who proclaim Jesus as Lord. And not only each and every one of you who are here in this room, but each and every one who are here across the street, 
each and every one who are there down the street and over on the other street and the other street because churches are crazy and you can get to like 30 within 10 minutes if you drive, right? And it's challenging. And sometimes we use that as an excuse to recognize that, oh man, is this truth proclaimed for them who declare Jesus as the Lord? And yes, it is. And yes, it is for you. And so when we partake in this, it is not just saying, hey, I recognize Jesus as the Lord. But because of that, and because what Jesus has done for you, it pushes us and it challenges us to see each other in a new light. Because you have to recognize what Jesus has done for you, he's done for me, and he's done for you, and he's done for you, and he's done for all y'all. And it's a beautiful thing, and when we embrace the fact of what do we expect for Jesus, what do we anticipate in Jesus, to recognize that no matter how much of an individualistic world we live in, that this expectation, this hope, is not just for you, because how lonely would that be? And how selfish would that be? And honestly, how hateful would that be if you really only wanted the saving, saving grace of Jesus Christ for you and for everyone who's exactly like you? And so in taking, we are proclaiming what we declare about Jesus, but we're also then able to see each person in that light, in that hope, and in that love. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the gift of your son, of the ministry, of the death, of the resurrection that gives us this gift to be able to press into, to be able to live out of. We just pray that as we think about our expectation of you, that scripture declares that you have lived, that who you are, what you desire for your restoration through you, that we would be challenged in a new way to leave here in anticipation for who you are and for what would you have for us, not through our own sake, but through you, that you would empower us in that, that we would come to you and learn from you to anticipate who you are and live and hope out of that anticipation. In Jesus' name, amen.